0: Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I have a really special panel of guests joining me, students from around Oklahoma who are currently serving their second terms on State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister's Student Advisory Council. This is the sixth year of the council. There are 97 students currently serving. We have three of them with us today, all recommended by their district superintendents and their feedback has really been instrumental in various state-level initiatives in public education. Today, we're going to talk about what they do on the council, unpack what it's been like to attend school during a pandemic, and get to hear their visions for the future of public education in Oklahoma. Welcome, Mariah, Kel, and Sean. So glad to have you guys with me today.
1: Nice to be here.
0: So first I want to tell our listeners a bit more about each of you. You guys are a really esteemed group of students. Mariah is a senior at Ringling High School. She's senior class president, an afterschool program tutor, a recently published writer, and soon to be freshman research scholar at Oklahoma State University. Go Cowboys. She's especially passionate about the benefits after-school programs provide to all involved. Kel is a senior at Putnam City High School. He also serves on the Putnam City District Student Advisory Council and Putnam City's Equity Council, in addition to other leadership roles in the community. At his school, he co-founded a group called Brothers of Excellence and co-created the first assembly dedicated to Black history and culture. Two issues that are top of mind for Kel are mental health resources for public school students and education equity. Sean is a senior at Charles Page High School in Sand Springs. He's national president of the Technology Student Association, has served on the Oklahoma Career Tech Student Advisory Council, is academic team captain for his school, and attends Tulsa Ballet Center for Dance Education. Recent funding formulas and the debate of private versus public funding for schools are top of mind for him. I'm so excited to have you guys here and I'd love to start by having you guys share what it's been like to serve on the Student Advisory Council and have this opportunity to really affect statewide conversation and even change as it relates to improving public education. Mariah, will you start us off?
2: Um, For me, hearing students from around the state convey their vastly different educational experiences and innovative ideas for improving their educational experiences have been really enlightening and broadened my perspective, as well as inspired my future hopeful career goals to um, continue to be involved with the betterment of this education system. That's great,
0: Mariah. Kel, what about you?
1: Yes, I think it's a great opportunity for um, all of the students across the state it's uh, nice to be around people who uh, think in, on, a, on a professional level at this age, and we can get things done together and kind of talk about the hard conversations, the tough conversations that even some adults are afraid to talk about. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be with this uh, group of students that I uh, serve with on the board and I'm ready to see what we can accomplish in our next meeting.
0: That's so great. And you're right, you guys really have been delving into some tough conversations. It's really impressive. Sean, what about you?
3: Well, it's been an incredible honor to represent my district on the Student Advisory Council for the second year now. I feel like so often our youth are referred to as the future, but when it comes down to providing input on policy or changes that affect us, we often aren't provided with the opportunities to, to, to make that voice heard. So it's incredibly refreshing to work with a leader like superintendent Hoffmeister who not only cares about providing better education to our students in our state but ensuring that we're at the center of the conversation about how we get there
0: absolutely that's a really great point especially over the last year i know it's been really important to superintendent Hoffmeister to understand what it's like for students like you guys in the classroom and what this means for the future of public education and students coming up behind you. Okay, so hardest question of the day and full disclosure, I sent this to you guys ahead of time so you had some time to prepare for it. (laughs) I don't even think I could answer this question, but if you had to describe what going to school during a pandemic has been like in one word, what would it be? Kel, you get to go first.
1: In one word, um, I, chaotic.
0: <laughs> That's an excellent yeah. choice. Yeah. Sean, what about you?
1: I'd have to say
3: inspiring. You know, this year, despite all the challenges, the, we've just really displayed how adaptive and resilient our students, our teachers, and our administrators and, and parents really are. So I'd say inspiring. You know, despite all the challenges, we've continued to make it work because teachers and students both care about what they do.
0: That's great and an excellent point. Mariah, what's your one word?
2: I have to kind of go with what um, Sean said. I, not a single 2021 senior will lack the question or the answer to the question, um, what was an obstacle you've overcome? (laughs) Um, So I'd have to say that a word to describe this past year and going to school during a pandemic would be enlightening.
0: (laughs) I like it. I like the positive spin on that. And um, although I didn't, exactly attend public school this year I kind of did as the mom of three kids and I uh, resonate fully with all of your answers chaotic probably at the top of my list too Kel. So I think our talk-
3: parents this year were definitely oh. in for the ride along with our students I think I think you definitely get included into that group there because yeah I know my parents even being the parents of a high schooler they were along for the ride so I can't even imagine you know the parents of our our younger students, you're definitely you're definitely right there along with us.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. I was just wondering whether I should buy myself a teacher appreciation gift this year to <laughs> like get it for the kids, get one for me. I don't know. And that those are the other superheroes this year truly have been our teachers. I'm sure we could we could have a whole show about the incredible work of our teachers this year. In supporting our students. Um, I know I've always appreciated my kids' teachers, um, but I have mu- a much fuller understanding of how hard they work day in and day out and, and what they're willing to do for our kids. So let's go back and talk more um, about both the challenges and the positives. Like you guys all mentioned, what? Have been the biggest challenges you've each faced? You've each faced individually in going to school during a pandemic. Whatever school looked like for you this year, and what's been a silver lining or an unexpected positive? Sean, will you start?
3: Yeah. So this year differs slightly from last year in the fact that, unlike the class of 2020, we didn't have as many events canceled outright. Um, we've still been able to attend meetings, conferences. Uh, in our events, but mostly in adapted formats. And so, while that's been incredibly challenging for programs and events, even for the student advisory council, figuring out new ways to appreciate and participate, I would say the silver lining has been that we've still been given opportunities to participate and connect with one each other, with one another, rather than uh, being canceled altogether.
0: Those are great points, Mariah. What about you?
2: I'm gonna have to agree with Sean on this again. The greatest challenge that I have faced is um, the lack of in-person opportunities and the lack of ability to connect with those state and community leaders. However, seeing those state and community leaders go above and beyond time and time again, and their adaptation to virtual platforms so seamlessly in such a chaotic time, has really been the epitome of adapting to your situations and been a shining example. And I think that is the positive that comes out of this. Kind of the the greatest challenge turns into the biggest positive as well.
0: That's an excellent perspective. All right, Kel, biggest challenge and unexpected positive or silver lining for you?
1: Uh, Yes, uh, with this academic uh, school year, Uh, I think my biggest challenge has been the communication barrier between uh, students and teachers. Uh, You Usually in person, you can go to a teacher whenever you need to, ask them a question. Now, you know, they have hundreds of uh, students at one time emailing them, trying to get a hold of them. And you could possibly wait the whole week to get an answer or wait an entire week for them to grade something and bring your grade back up but uh, a positive that was unexpected for me is, uh, believe it or not, it's my first time ever making straight A's. Uh, I've never kind of been that student, so it uh, I kind of got some professionalism skills from this uh, entire thing, and I'm very happy about that.
0: That's so great, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think there have been some things about this year that have been great for a lot of students and have allowed students to flourish in a way that they might not have been able to in, in a traditional school year. So in your roles as really advisors to Superintendent Hofmeister and the entire State Department of Education, I know you guys have been talking a lot about the need for greater support for mental health, more resources for our teachers, and more funding for public education. So what are some ways you think we can accomplish one or several of these for our public education students and teachers in Oklahoma? Kel, I know mental health resources for public schools is really important to you. Will you start us off?
1: Well, yes, um, I kinda, anytime I get the opportunity to speak about mental health, I uh, bring up a situation with my cousin. Uh, I sadly lost him in 2019 uh, from a suicide attempt And. Uh, well, I guess not an attempt, but um, so now uh, every year I try to develop a different plan in uh, in order to fix that problem because I see that a lot even in my school and in other schools across our state. Uh, so uh, one thing that I've came uh, come up with is making a accredited hour that's mandatory for students to graduate. That will uh, provide mental health resources and awareness to all students, and uh, teachers uh, should be allowed to document the. Um, assignments that students give, their responses, and if something gives a red flag or it's concerning to them, I believe that they should be able to report it to their counselors or their parents, and uh, that way those people can take the next step in that. But I think this is important because uh, even if you have high self-esteem and a great mental health, you don't know what you could develop in the future, and you don't know what type of people you might meet in the future and how you should deal with them and how you should help them and what you can do. So um, that's something that I've been working on, on the equity board for my school district. And I'm hoping to have that come out soon for at least my school district, if not statewide.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Cal. Um, That's really touching how you have turned that situation with your family into an opportunity to really advocate for others. That's really, really incredible. Mariah, what about you?
2: Uh, This is something we have talked about extensively on the council. And after hearing Kel's story um, during one of our meetings, it really got me thinking, what can we do to solve this? And sadly, I believe the main reason mental health initiatives aren't more common within our schools is because they only benefit a single student at a time, really. And support for teachers is also lacking for about roughly the same reasons. Um, So I believe The installment of multi-beneficial mental health initiatives, such as an after-school program, like the one that I work at, would positively benefit high school student workers, elementary student attendees, their parents and teachers. It might be a plausible solution to this problem. High school workers are provided not only a job, which works around their schedules, but also the immense mental benefits and accountability that comes from little kids interacting with you and interacting with them and knowing they just think the world of you. Elementary students, they benefit from the one-on-one mentorship and tutoring that a program like this would provide. This one-on-one tutoring also helps to support teachers by ensuring that students' homework is actually completed, which is a problem a lot of times because they don't get that support at home. And it reinforces lessons they taught that day, as well as offering additional help in areas which the students are struggling. And parents also win by having a safe and free program to watch their kids after school while they're still at work. (laughs) So that's something that I think could work for the mental health initiative side of it and actually having a plausible solution instead of these ones that we try and then we can't really implement because they aren't plausible.
0: I love that, Mariah, that is a brilliant solution. And I love that you guys are giving such um, great examples of the work that you have been doing. This is not just a council where you guys sit around and talk. I know you do that, but you're really looking for actionable solutions that can be implemented, not just in your own communities, but around the state. So Sean, I know recent funding formulas have been really top of mind for you. What would you add?
3: Well, before I get started, I just want to say funding formulas are the key to the programs and the resources that we just mentioned, because I think that sometimes as students, when we try and talk about these things, there's the question of, well, why are you concerned with this? You know, that's a very broad topic. Well, it affects the work that we're directly doing um, with these programs and resources. So for funding, as far as funding is concerned, to me, the solution is pretty simple. Uh, Even as recently as last week, our state legislature continues to pass policies and funding formulas that strategically undercut our public schools and benefit private entities. So when it comes to funding for public education, we've gotta have a state legislature and a governor that's willing to listen to the needs of our teachers and leaders instead of their own agenda. Um, We've got legislators who I believe truly want the best for all Oklahoma students uh, looking to run our schools as businesses, but we just, we can't view our Oklahoma students as customers. Uh, So our House and our Senate, as well as Governor Stitt, I've got to start working alongside uh, our leaders in the, in the Department of Education, our State Board of Education, and our teachers. Um, and that's really where we're gonna start seeing the connection in some of these resources and programs come, come to, to, to fruition as soon as we can get the funding that they need.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. That, that really is the key piece to being able to achieve so many of the things that, that we would like to see for our public education system. So, we talked earlier a little bit about virtual education. What, after the experiencing everything that happened this year, um, what do you guys think the future of virtual education will look like in Oklahoma? Are there things that have been beneficial, and how do you think these options can be improved for students who flourish in that environment? Mariah, what do you think?
2: I can't necessarily speak on this so much personally because when we went to distance learning last year, we didn't really. school kind of stopped for us because we're a small rural community and we couldn't get access to everyone we needed to and so it just we didn't do virtual necessarily and then we've been fortunate enough being a small rural community came in handy when we came back to school and we have a small school so we were able to be in person however I've heard from some teachers that I've talked to um, who have struggled to balance attending adequately to their virtual students as well as giving This needed support to their in-classroom students. So I think something which could be improved upon in future years and maybe already be is maybe already being improved upon in schools is a singular teacher is designated to be kind of a liaison with the school and those virtual students that way they can communicate and offer the support needed to those students and then the teachers in classroom can focus on their students in classroom and give them Equally, both the high quality of education which they deserve.
0: Those are great points. Kel, what about you? I know you have done some virtual school and some in person school this year.
1: Um, So, we're we're currently back in school four days a week, and uh, we have about 2,000 kids in our school. And I think one thing that I've learned just from coming back uh, recently is that when we have snow days, I think we kind of made a solution for that. Um, Teachers uh, more recently, uh, they were doing zoom calls to, uh, still during some of the you know some of the breaks and still providing assignments and pushing the, the due dates back. but it gave students the opportunity to still flourish and learn something even in this tough time. So uh, we are adapting and I don't know anything that we can improve, uh, improve for that besides uh, finding figuring out the issue with Wi-Fi uh, for some students.
0: Yeah, that's definitely an issue. And I know the State Department of Education and Superintendent Hoffmeister and superintendents across the state have really been working on that, but we still got a ways to go to ensure that all students would have the opportunity to be connected. Sean, what about you? What do you think about the future of virtual education?
3: I think that any that we can find an option that works better for an individual student's learning plan, uh, that's what we need to do. We've got to make sure that that pathway is open and available to them. So moving forward, it's essential that the conversation surrounding virtual education is centered around individual students. Our districts are expanding virtual and alternate learning options at an incredible rate. And I think that more options for virtual learning is a good thing when done at the district level. Um, and so our public schools and our, our districts have been expanding those options uh, rapidly. It kind of accelerated some of the programs that this the, the COVID-19, uh, pandemic accelerated some of the programs that our districts were already starting to expand. I know that in Sand Springs, our, our administration did a great job with making sure that any student that felt that they would be more successful in a virtual learning environment had the option to do that. And uh, thankfully we had the resources and the infrastructure to be able to, to provide that service to them. So I think that if we can provide our rural communities as well as some of our larger schools, just the infrastructure to make that option available, that our student success is going to, going to do well.
0: That's a great example of um, the importance of being able to offer an individualized option for our students, because there are a lot of students who do better in, in a virtual environment. So being able to figure that out for those students, I think is really important as we move forward. So as we have heard, you guys are each very involved in your schools, in your communities, and you're really committed to the future of public education in Oklahoma. When you think about some of the issues or challenges that you're personally most concerned about for our students, what's your vision for how we improve in the future? And what are you most hopeful about when you think about the future of public education? Kel, I know equity in education is another area that you're really passionate about. Will you start?
1: Yes, so uh, with equity in education, it it is a very broad uh, subject, but uh, it connects to education in so many ways. Uh, So for me personally, I felt that I was left behind uh, in elementary school. Um, There were a lot of things that I missed out on that are critical for me now, and I still don't know them. So I'm working on, resources but I wish that there was uh, some way that the teachers could uh, bring more equitable resources to us so instead of moving all together at one time we could work on each student individually and uh, offer them the resources that they need because everyone learns differently and uh, everyone needs different resources in order to be successful and you kind of learn that throughout life I mean you don't know this without experiences and that's a, a great teacher so that's something I would like to see in the future. And then in context of a representation of all students, um, I kind of found out that I wanted to represent people that look like me in my schools, which is why I started the assembly at school. But now I'm finding, more about, uh, finding out more about inclusion and equity and I want to help everyone. So in May, I'm hoping to do some things and um, I want to work with people of all communities and see what we can accomplish. And hopefully it's not just student led in the future. It's once again, something uh, that's led on by the administrators in our schools and school districts.
0: That's so great, Kel. I love how focused you are on bringing people together. Um, You you are a person who does that well. Um, So I appreciate you you sharing that. Mariah, what is your vision and what are you most hopeful about for the future of public ed? Uh,
2: My biggest concern for Oklahoma students is that way too often they become encapsulated in their own environments and condemn those unlike themselves instead of valuing those differences, kind of touching on what Kel said. Um, an example of this is that I myself grew up looking around a classroom where everyone looked at me, or not looked at me, but looked like me. And you know they shared my beliefs, they shared just my experiences. And it wasn't until I stepped out of my, my comfort zone, my, of my small town, and discovered the value of others' experiences, what they have to say, their ideas, their beliefs, just the value of their perspectives. Um, And the only way this happened was through the hard conversations that we have in the Student Advisory Council and in other areas, kind of like Hill said, um, that I had realized how biased I had actually been. So one way I would like to hope to see this improved or that it could be improved in the future is the installment of a communication literacy class, much like we have a financial literacy class, because um I kind of feel like I was unprepared to have those hard conversations and I didn't know how to approach them. And I think that's a problem that a lot of students are having today is they don't know how to handle these um, matters civilly and they don't understand that there's value in people you know not agreeing with them or not being the same as they are. So that's something that I'm hopeful to see us work towards in Oklahoma public education.
0: That's so great, Mariah. We all could take a lesson from that. I really appreciate your willingness to share your own story there and how that kind of helped you move forward and and think about this on a larger scale. Um, All the grown-ups should sign up for that same kind of course. Sean, what about you? What's your vision for the future?
3: Connection and understanding, really what what we've been hitting on, but we've got to make sure that the resources are available for those conversations to happen. And that's why, uh, I hesitate to sound like a broken record here, but that's why our state legislature's somewhat erratic uh, measures surrounding education funding in our state has been extremely concerning to me lately. Uh, Many of our concerns are remedied and supplemented the resources and funds that are directed to our schools. So my hope is for a renewed commitment to our communities and to our 700,000 students in the state of Oklahoma. Our students are the next leaders in their field, whether their career path includes college, the workforce, career tech, or the military, but we've got to support them and make sure that they have the tools and resources they need to be successful. There's a lot of negative talk surrounding public education in our state right now, and we've got to address the concerns, but I truly feel hopeful in our students, in our teachers, and in our state leaders, because at the end of the day, we all want what is best for our students. We may disagree on what's best, but everyone wants to see Oklahoma students succeed.
0: Very well said. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Thank you for your very valuable perspective. And two, thank you for your service in not just your communities, but for our state as a whole. Um, You guys have done some really important work in your time on the council. even though you're all, you're all graduating and going on to your next life adventures, um, I hope you can look back with a lot of pride at the change and conversations that you guys inspired. And as the mom of three little public school students, um, I'm really appreciative of the bright future that you have left behind for them and, and hope they can build on all the great work that you guys have done. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.